welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name's Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we'll be talking with Brian Laritz. Brian's teaching pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham and president of the Kainos Movement, an organization committed to seeing the multi-ethnic church become the new normal. He's also author of several books, including his latest, The Dad Difference, the four most important gifts you can give to your kids. But before we hear from Brian, let's go to Ed Stetzer, editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Hey, good to have everyone listening. Our audience has a lot of dads. Everyone in this conversation is a dad here today, and particularly many of us are pastor dads or, you know, church staff dads or professor dads and whatever your church multiplication is, do director dad and a pastor, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so, and I will tell you that I have had some really, I don't know, gut-wrenching conversations with pastors and church leaders who are dads and say, this is the struggle we've had. We've had struggles, we've had challenges, you know, those are our kids' stories, not necessarily uh, for us to share in the podcast. But I really was super encouraged when I saw that um, Brian had written this book, came out right in the middle of pandemic shutdown, actually right in the middle of uh, the protests after the murder of George Floyd, all this sort of stuff. And so I wanted to have Brian on. We didn't do it right away, but I wanted to have Brian to talk about this issue. And partly you have to understand some of the family dynamic with Brian. He's going to share some of those things um, as well. So let's just jump into the conversation, Brian. We're so glad you're here. What are some of the few central ways that your father has impacted your life? Yeah, thanks, guys. Great being on the uh, podcast with you. Um, I want to be very clear, and I really do want to overstate this. This book is not about uh, how awesome of a dad I am. <laughs> I've got three boys, 21, 19, and 17, and um, I have made far more than my share of mistakes. So when I talk about the dad difference, it is really uh, a book filled with my recollections of how how my own dad fathered me. And uh, I, I would say the, the main thing he did that kind of undergirded the four gifts, which are relationship, uh, integrity, teaching, and experiences. But undergirding all this is he was just intentional. He's very much, very much thoughtful. Um, and dad, who wrote the foreword to the book, I actually tried to try to write and release the book without him knowing about it. But there's some kind of law out there that if you have a certain percentage of content about a certain person, they've got to sign off on it. So that didn't work. But, you know, even in his foreword, he was very much, um, he was very much humble and forthright, just saying, man, I made my share of mistakes as well. So I'd be careful not to deify my dad. Um, he made his share of mistakes as well. But at the end of the day, I really feel like he was, through his intentionality, really gave me a jump start in life. Uh, which is why I say dad is dad is the most three it's 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 the most powerful three letter word in all of the English language. And someone said, what about God? Well, I, I really do think our perception of God is informed by dad, which is why I just really think it's powerful. So he just shaped and formed me through those gifts, through those intentionality, through that act of intentionality. And it really just helped to jumpstart me in life. Fascinating. Okay. So, um, you know, the not... I think most people would know who your dad is, 
but we haven't mentioned who he is. So how about giving a little bit of background? Because you were raised not just in a, a pastor dad home, but by a prominent Christian leader. So so who is your dad? Yeah, so my dad's Dr. Crawford uh, Loritz Jr. Um, actually, he was more of an itinerant um, evangelist than he was a pastor when I was growing up. He didn't start pastoring until 2005, which was weird because he was calling me for advice because I'd been pastoring um, a long time by, by then. Oh, how interesting. But I he, didn't realize he, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. He traveled a lot. He was with an organization now known as Crew. Right, I knew that. Uh, so Campus Crusade for Christ. So dad was probably gone over 200 days out of the wow. year. Wow. Uh, him and Josh McDowell, their roles were very, very similar. So dad mm-hmm. was traveling around, preaching a lot. Um, I think today one of the things he would say um, is I was probably gone too much. But, Mm. you know, I didn't feel that as a child, mainly because I think we as parents kind of shape our kids normal. Uh, Mm. It's not until later on in life uh, where we start kind of looking at how other people were raised. We go, oh, okay, I was kind of raised different. But in the middle of it, I didn't know what I was missing out on. Uh, the great thing about dad's role was when he was home, he was completely home and he was all in. And so we could go fishing uh, in the middle of the day somewhere. We we cried our eyes out at a bunch of uh, Atlanta Braves game at uh, <laughs> Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. We went to Falcons game, so so on and so forth. But yeah, that's a bit of a flavor for for who my Good. dad is. Good. I did, what I didn't know, because I knew his dad from when I was in Alpharetta. And he was down the road there at uh, Roswell. So I, mm. in my mind, right, pastor, I was thinking it was longer term, makes perfect sense. But itinerant travel, that even has complications uh, as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Brian, can you, I mean, you started this. Can you talk about some of the central ways that your dad had an impact on your life? And then specifically, maybe even on ministry? Yeah. So, um, listen, my, my dad led me to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and we were in Dallas, Texas at the time, him and Tony Evans had planted a church together called Oak Cliff Bible fellowship. Uh, I was four years old. It was one of the first vacation Bible schools and somebody had the bright idea to show a bunch of four-year-olds a film on hell. Um, and I saw that was scared out of my mind, came back home and said, what must I do to be saved? My dad led me to faith in Christ. From then on, my dad was, he discipled me and my siblings. I'm the oldest of four. And he was my first Old Testament professor, my first New Testament professor. Every week we had a standing appointment at the local Shoney's, um, diner there. Uh, near near our home, and he's he's just walking me through scriptures and being a part of crew. He uh, they were big on the four spiritual laws back then, so he's showing me um, how to share my faith. Not only is he writing the four spiritual laws down on a napkin, but he's actually okay. You're going to watch me do this with with the waitress, and he would actually take us on trips with him. A, a point that I make in the in the book, which was really formative. Uh, and one of the first things dad would do, now this is in a pre-smartphone world, when we would walk into the hotel room, dad would always take out a five by seven or eight by 10 photograph of the family and put it in a prominent place. And years later, I found out he did that because it was a reminder of him that he's got a lot of people counting on him and not to do anything stupid as he's thousands of miles away from home. So That's he just cool. kind of modeled, he just kind of modeled that, that thing for me and my siblings. It's kind of interesting too. Your your dad wrote a book on his dad, so I mean, there's like there's like these generations. Uh-huh. Uh, never walk away. Lessons on integrity from a father who lived it. So there's like this generational path that's ultimately here. And then you became a dad, and uh, you know <laughs> that's a whole different experience when it's on the 
other side generationally as well. What are some misconceptions about fatherhood that you have when you first became a dad? Well, you know, I just think like anything else, you just, especially when you come from a home where you just saw a dad do it right, you you assume it's a lot easier than what it actually is. Um, that's a huge misconception. Um, then the complexities of I've got three kids with three incredibly different personalities, love languages. Um, and, and I began to understand dad's statement that he used to always make to us growing up is uh, fairness is not sameness. Um, and so trying to raise your kids according to their unique bent, um, that's more art than science, uh, which I think is just parenting in, in general. So I didn't, I underestimated how incredibly complex, nuanced, hard um, that fathering actually is. In the book, I mean, you. I mean, the name of the book uh, says, uh, you know, is the dad difference the four most important gifts you can give to your kids? Can you talk about what are those four gifts and, and give, highlight some key points for us? Yeah, so I, I think the, the pr- prominent metaphor that I use, especially in the beginning of the book, is, you know, we've all traveled from coast to coast. And what you, what you figure out pretty quickly is going from west to east between the same two points you get there a lot quicker because you have a tailwind going from east to west between the same two points. You get there a lot slower because you're battling a headwind. And that's the metaphor I use for dads, that a present proactive dad is a tailwind in the life of their their kids. And again, I just feel like I got fast-tracked because I had a tailwind kind of a dad. I understand that there are many people listening to this podcast who their story is the polar opposite of mine. Um, But I also want to encourage them by saying some of the best dads that I know uh, either had absentee fathers or dads who just didn't do their job. um, And something in them said, my kids will never have to know that pain. Um, And those are some of the best dads that I know. So I I want to give you encouragement there. But when we talk about tailwind dads, you know, the first gift my dad gave me is really relationship. And I think leadership 101 says I can't really influence someone that I'm not in relationship with. And so that's why I'm just saying my dad and I, man, we spent logged a whole lot of hours on some Georgia pond. Most of those hours he's untangling my, you know, fishing line and um, hours together on the road, hours together at ball games. There was just a profound sense of relationship. Secondly, I think is integrity. Um, Integrity, by the way, is not perfection. I have a whole chapter in the book in the section on on integrity about apologies. What what stands out in my mind uh, much larger than my dad's mistakes are his apologies. Hmm. Uh, And so when dad would mess up, like I have I have vivid images of dad coming to our school, coat and tie, taking us out of the classroom looking us in our eyes and saying, I'm sorry, I yelled at you or I spoke to you in a manner that wasn't appropriate. Like 30 years later, 40 years later, I couldn't even tell you what he apologized about Well, because that mistake is, is so much in the shadows of his actual apology. And so that's a part of what it means to be a, a person of integrity. Third is teaching. If you came to our if you came to our home, uh, like many of my friends did after football practice or whatever, they would sit around the table. They used to call us the Cosbys back in the day. That was a compliment. Today, probably not so much, but sure. they would sit. They would sit around the table and be blown away. First of all, 
by the side of a husband and a wife still together who happen to be African-American, who happen to be loved, who happen to love Jesus. And my dad is taking out the scriptures and is just walking us through the scriptures. Uh, when dad would discipline us right before he disciplined us, he'd always take a walk around the block. If he was really angry, he took a couple walks around the block and then he'd come in, open up the Proverbs and would give like a 15 minute homily on the attributes of a fool. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, just get it over with. I promise you I'm not going to. But he's always teaching us. That, that's, that's the thing I want you to understand. And then lastly is experiences. Um, man, by the time I was 15, I had my passport stamped for about 20 different con countries. Wow. Um, on short-term missions trips, and I'm raising support, and I'm having to trust God. And Dad just, that's just going to be a part of our regular rhythm. Dad said, I'm going to give you these experiences where you're raising support going to the mission field. Those four things just really shaped me profoundly. Oh, those are so good. And I, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm jealous in a very good way. I grew up in a broken home. Uh, Don and I grew, both grew up in broken homes, distant fathers. My, my dad is a great grandfather. But alcohol just ruined so much of, of his his younger years. And and so, yeah, so I hear those things, and I, I want those things. And even some of the patterns. So, for example, a guy you probably wouldn't know, but named Herschel York. And Herschel said to me, um, he gave me the example he did. When he was 10, he'd take his, I think it was, I think his sons, take his sons on a trip anywhere he wanted to go in the United States for one week, just the two of them. And then 15 anywhere in the world. And, you know, because I travel a lot, I had the points. So I did that. So I can hear, I mean, again, 10-year-old trip, you know, one went to Alaska, one went to California. You know, we just had these, one, two went to California, actually, um, and then International did each of those. And those are pivotal moments, but I even, for me, I hear the almost the idyllic childhood that you described, or the idyllic relationship with your father. I had none of that. I failed so much as a father. I mean, is there is there hope? How do, I'm not, I can tell you, I'm not writing a book on parenting because I'm still in the throes of it. Um, but you wrote so much about your dad and so much you learned mm -hmm. that's there. So pastors and church leaders who right now are listening and saying, I don't know, that sounds like I'm going around, walking around the block when you're mad. I mean, this is your dad. I know he's amazing, but that's not where most of us are. We struggle. What, what, what encouragement can you give us? Yeah, look, I think, I think it's time to practice what, what we preach. You know, we, we preach about grace. We need to receive grace. We need to receive mercy. Um, we, we talk about confession and repentance. M maybe your pathway to change, if your kids are still in the, in the home, is to just begin right there and to lean into the Spirit of God to just, to just do things differently. I mean, I cannot tell you the amount of just regrets that I have, the, the outbursts of impatience that I've had, uh, where ministry, to be quite honest with me, ate up all of the margin in my life. And I'm so busy giving way to others. And I come home, there's nothing really in the tank for me to give to my, to my family. I mean, these are points of repentance. I think if dad were sitting here, in fact, I know if dad was sitting here, he would say it, because I've heard him say it before, is he goes, man, looking back, I spent way too much time on airplanes, way too much time traveling, um, and I was an idiot for that. Like that, that word for word would actually say that. And so I would just say, take a number. Uh, all of us have incredible regrets, but I think repentance can begin today, and you can walk that pathway and um, and just be honest with your children and embrace new patterns of of behavior. That's good. 
You said this earlier, Brian, where a lot of people's view of God comes from their view of their earthly father or their relationship with the earthly father. Um, yeah, as church leaders are helping people have a healthy view of the fatherhood of God, uh, can you help us think through, one, how do we do that in a way where it doesn't trigger, uh, you know, like the bad memories and project that onto God? And then two, you know, uh, we're in a day and age where people are very heavily critiquing patriarchy and gendered language, and so sometimes that has a way that filters the way that people think about God as well. So how do you help church leaders think through those things? Yeah, you know, that your last point especially, I, I really feel that I really feel that deeply, and um, I would imagine that there's people in all different kind of theological camps who are listening in. Listen, I'll just tell you, my, my mother grew up in the hood in North Philadelphia. Um, she is the only one that in her family that has a marriage that's still standing, and it's not even close. It's just not even close. So. She kind of, it was the classic when, when her and dad got married 51 years ago, all of her family, um, which is nothing but single parent women are saying, girl, you better get your own account, separate account. Don't be all in. They're saying in so many words, I can just tell you 51 years later, like I'd never seen my dad speak disrespectfully to my mom. Hmm. Um, you know, again, I want to be careful. I was not a perfect husband. But he serves her. I can't tell you how many times uh, I've seen him stop on the way home to get flowers for her, get a cup of coffee for her. Um, now, on the other hand, um, was dad, was it understood that dad was the clear leader in the home? Absolutely. But it wasn't, it wasn't in this top-down hierarchy kind of way. It was actually from the posture of being a servant leader. And I can just tell you the fruit of that 51 years later, my mom is more alive than she's ever been. And she comes from a background where the way she was raised resisted any kind of quote unquote leadership. But I just think everyone aches to be led like Jesus. And if men just take that mantle without even necessarily having to verbally declare it. I think if I'm having to tell my wife, I'm the leader, I'm the, something's wrong there, right? Mm. But if I just speak her love language, I speak it often, I speak it well, I take on a posture of a servant leader, I, I just think something in her is just going to come alive at that. Um, and what triggers people is the old paradigm of this top-down hierarchy kind of a thing. But just the fruits of that, my mom is more alive now than she's ever been in her life. And it's because of the way my father has led her in the way of Jesus. So, yeah. Talk to me about, uh, about the idea though, that the, when you understand your view of your father impacts your view of God. And it certainly, certainly did for me. And I really had to work through my understanding of God because of that. Um, how, how do those relate and what does that create a spiritual responsibility for us as, as fathers? Um, if people are going to pick up their view of God from us. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, my dad led me to faith in Jesus. He taught me about Jesus. He gave me. Um, so, so, so one of the things my dad often says is leaders are the desired destination. And that's a heavy statement to make. But the, the older I get, the more truth and wisdom I see in that. 
Um, and that's why I think, you know, and I say this oftentimes in the book, we got to be careful because dad's statement is really true. We parents tend to take too much credit when our kids turn out right and too much blame when they don't, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think a formula to create an environment conducive to rebellious kids are dads who talk one way about God, but live a completely different way. Yeah, I think that is a main ingredient. So to actually wake up every morning and to see my dad on his knees, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, in prayer before God, um, to actually, we used to call my mom law and my dad grace. Um, <laughs> we To actually see my dad, it, it was laughable. I mean, he would come down really hard on us, give us like a two-week punishment and like clockwork. He, he would come back and say, I've been praying about that and God doesn't treat us X, Y, and Z, so I need to ease up. And we'd feign as if we're, you know, okay, if that's what you really think, right? <laughs> but he gave me an incredible picture of grace. Now, there's some negative pictures dad gave me. Yeah. Dad could be really impatient. And oftentimes, I can kind of see God as being impatient with me. But it's just this, he's giving me, and he never said this, he's giving me a paradigm for what, for how I visualize God in my own life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I got a chance to meet your dad um... Uh, last year, and he was just sitting having breakfast. We were in Houston uh, at two different conferences. You didn't like come up to him when he was having. A nice I did. Bite, no, oh, I totally did because I I remember I, I. So Brian, I mean, full disclosure, I, I knew about your dad's ministry before you, and had been impacted by just the way that he preaches, the way he carries himself, uh, the way he talked about his family, and so it was an honor to to go over and, and to meet him. And I shook his hand, and I think at this point he might have already announced that he was. Um, retiring from the church. I, I don't remember the chronology there. Uh, but I thought as I was, you know, thanking him uh, for his work and his life, that this is a man who who has uh, longevity, longevity. And uh, I, I'm curious, you know, um, from your uh, vantage point of being his son and growing up in the household, what, what were the things that he did that helped ensure that he had longevity in ministry? Yeah, so... Um... Dad was giving me the death talk a couple years ago oh. and just, just, it was, it was, it was kind of freaky. Cause I'm like, are, are you sick? Or she goes, no, I'm not sick. I, I just kind of want you to have a feel on what I, what I want. And one of the things he did was he took me into, into a, a room in the house. I'd never been in this. It's more like a closet and it's just stacks and stacks of his prayer journals. And my dad got saved in 1964 when he was 14 years old. And, um, and I'm thumbing through these journal entries. I see a journal entry dated 1972 and they first find out that they were pregnant with me. And dad, just with tears in his eyes, just goes, hey, I want you to know there's never been a day in your life when I haven't prayed for you. Wow. Um, and just how overwhelming that is. I asked dad. I think five years ago, because again, he's just metronome consistency. You, you just know dad's going to be up at five something in the morning in prayer. I said, dad, since you've been saved, how many times have you missed? And you can tell it, you know, it, he said it in the most humble of way. He goes, I think, I think 12 times. <laughs> and it's that kind of stuff, wow. but you have to pull that out of him. 
and it's never it's never a self-righteous kind of a thing um you can just count on every single day he prays with with my, my with my mother it's just those kinds of habits that he cultivates um i would say was the key to everything in his life and especially his parenting i love it habits and parenting go so together and you know people I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the fact your God was that your dad was gone 200 nights, and so there were. I mean, the flow was different. You know, for I'm, I don't travel nearly as much as that, and and so for me, I, I try to in time home. I don't really buy into the quality time thing. I just think quality time happens when you're spending time with your kids and your family, and it becomes quality. Uh, but how how did he do? I mean, I don't ask just about your dad, but how would you recommend pastors and church leaders? Who maybe you know doing Tuesday night elder meeting and maybe they got a you know Thursday night Bible study and how would you recommend them finding the prioritization of time to create some of those habits that you talked about? How do you fit it in with a busy church schedule? Often when the church events take place or when the kids are out of school, for example. Yeah, and so much of parenting is even in seasons, right? Um, yeah. You know, there was a, a big activity season. Like, uh, like our evenings looked a lot different once our kids hit kind of that 11, 12-year-old mm -hmm. corridor on through high school. You know, because they're, now they're getting into activities and practices, and then they start driving. And, and so there's even seasons within the season of parenting when your kids are at, at home. So I want to be sensitive to that. One of the things that, um, that my dad advised me on um, if at all possible, is to not do any evening meetings, mm -hmm. if I could, um, or to really limit evening meetings. That was really, really helpful for me. Um, I know not every pastor, I mean, if, especially if you're a pastor in a new church, you kind of have to go with the rhythms that are already established. But if you can, to just try to hold that dinner table hour sacred. And looking back, that's what dad did. Um, when he was in town, man, we were we were around that dinner table together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once I started working, that became a little different. But even then, four nights out of the week, I was around that that dinner table. That was a value that dad really held high for us. And that was our moment to really huddle together. Um, I don't remember much else, Ed, outside of that. Uh, I don't remember a weekly date night that him and mom did, although I do remember them spending a lot of time together. Oftentimes, mom would accompany him, especially as we got older, on the road. Um, but yeah, those are those are some things. Yeah. So, but but for you though, I mean, we you got a whole book here. Again, the 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 book for those of you just listening and just joining us, the dad difference, the four most important gifts you can give to your kids. Um, so, I you you've walked in pastoral ministry space. You've written a book on dads. So let's let's not talk specifically about Crawford Lurtz for just a second, but let's talk about advice you have when you're talking to staff members at Summit or when you're or you're speaking at a conference about how can I, as pastor dad or church staff member dad, how can I, addition to something as you said, how can I build that kind of healthy relationship, recognizing some of the challenges? I mean, I, I'm pretty transparent with my kids about it's not all awesome being the the kid of somebody who's whatever I am. Um, so what would you suggest? What are some additional ways as pastors we can effectively be dads and dads who are pastors can be effective? 
Well, a couple of high level things. Uh, one is I had an elder at a church I served one time tell me, because I was asking him a similar question, just really appreciate the way he parented. He said, man, um, be ruthless with time, gracious with people. Uh, ruthless with time, gracious with people. And I kind of held on to that. Um, Dennis Rainey uh, once told me, he says, the problem with our calendaring philosophy, most of us, our calendar philosophy is task driven and not priority driven. So figure out what your priorities are and make sure your calendar expresses those priorities. And especially when the context of being a dad, that's a priority, right? Well, does my calendar reflect that and, and what, it, what it means for us? So, you know, so that, that, that is a huge thing that we've had to, we've had to deal with. My gosh, um, I, my, you know, so how it looks typically for our kids, my youngest is, you know, sports is his love language. Uh, he's done the whole AAU basketball thing this summer. He's getting into golf because that I, I, I want to play. I want to play golf, so we're going to be hanging out and and doing that. My my middle son is very much artsy oriented. That's not how I'm wired. But man, what what brings him life is if we go to a Coldplay concert together, mm-hmm. or you know, he enjoys reading books. If we if we read books together. Um, that's kind of what brings him, him life as, as well. My, my oldest is a little bit of the sports thing. So it's just, what I'm trying to say is finding your kids unique niche and just diving in on that. I heard Gordon McDonald one time in a parenting seminar said that one of the fundamental things he did with his kids, he goes, my kids were used to me being a leader and kind of being an expert on a whole lot of stuff. And they're always on my territory. He goes, I made up my mind to let them be the expert and coach me when it comes to their athletics and activities. Hmm. And that really resonated uh, for me. So I would show up at their ball games, but they were so used to me leading them, them in the home, leading them at church. I never coached their, their teams because of that. Um, I wanted them to have their own space and for me to come alongside of and ask them questions and have them coach me on some things and me encourage them. We found that to be incredibly fruitful as it relates to just fleshing that out from a time perspective. Hmm. I want to turn the corner here a little bit as we uh, get ready to wrap up here, because a lot of what we talked about is, uh, you know, being a dad fathering in the home, but Paul picks up on that and creates a motif around how pastoring or elders really in some ways you're a spiritual father to the congregation uh, you know, in Corinth, letter to the Corinthians, you know, he talks about, you know, um, you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. So um, help help us think through, uh, Brian, uh, what does it look like when a church is led by somebody who is not a spiritual father, uh, or somebody who doesn't have a heart of a spiritual parent, versus someone who does? Is there a qualitative difference, you think? You know, one of the, golly, that question really resonates deeply with me. It's in, in my case, I didn't really come along to embrace the role of a spiritual father until my 40s. Um, and I missed out on a lot of opportunities, not because I was resistant to it, but I didn't realize that's how a lot of young men viewed me, uh, especially in the congregation. Um, and I would just say, that's what pastoring is. 
and no matter what your age, you you need to embrace it, especially just given the context of our society. I mean, you're going to have people in your church who don't have their biological dads as part of their lives, right? And so they're going to look to you to be able to provide some means of that. Now, it you know, you'll get to a point where you have stewardship responsibilities over your time. And what does that look like to be, to walk in that role? And, you know, wisdom says you can't walk in that role with too many people. Um, you know, Jesus had the 12. He, he didn't try to father necessarily every single person in the way that we understand that. But I would say, embrace it. Um, I don't know how you pastor without it. I don't know how you, you know, so even when I think about Paul discipling Timothy, you know, second Timothy chapter one, he's got a godly mother, a godly grandmother. What's missing from the list is a godly dad. And I think a part of Paul's role in Timothy's life that he full on embraced is I'm not just going to teach you the elementary truths of Christianity. I'm also going to, in the process, model before you what courageous, authentic, biblical manhood looks like. Mm -hmm. And we see the progression in Timothy from being timid, fearful, uh, full of anxiety, drink a little wine for your stomach, to all of a sudden he dies by standing out on the steps of the temple there in Ephesus, courageously challenging the false teachers. Well, what takes him from timidity to courage I think it's the example of Paul taking him under his wing and modeling what, what a spiritual dad looks like. And so I would say to my 30-something-year-old new pastor self, embrace it. Hmm. Embrace it. You have something to offer. Don't hmm. shy away from it. The book is The Dad Difference, the four most important gifts you can give your kids. So again, a disproportionate number of our audience will probably be dads. And uh, maybe for right now, they're like, well, what do I do? How do I start tomorrow? I encourage them to pick up the book. Again, it's the dad difference, the four most important gifts you can give your, to your kids. But what would you might suggest in the next few days, if I'm recognizing maybe, maybe I've sacrificed my kids on the altar of ministry, uh, I want to address that, I want to do better, give us some next steps. Last question we have, give us some next steps to step into better, more fruitful parenting and uh, being that, making that dad difference. I would, I'd focus on relationship. Um, I think that's, that's number one. Uh, you know, it just so happens to work out in the, uh, um, in, in that whole kind of RITE thing that I, that I give the four, the four gifts, but yeah, just, just, one those, just go through those one more time near the end. What are Re the four relationship, things? integrity, teaching, and experiences. So focus on relationship. Yeah. So I'd focus on, on relationship, you know, have fun together and maybe in the context of that, you know, you can you can begin to press into some developmental things, some spiritual things. But if you don't have the relationship piece, your child is not going to be as apt to receive correction from you, to re receive advice from you. So I just, what's their love language? Um, what brings them joy? Put that on repeat. Do the trip. Whatever it may be, I would start with start with relationship. Uh, I think that's that's the number one place to to actually start. You've been listening to the wisdom of Brian Laritz. You can learn more about him at brianlaritz.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.